Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday, a presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Good afternoon, Cougar Nation. Coming to you live from Broadcast House in downtown Salt Lake City. Mitch Harper, Matt Biamonte, talking BYU sports on this jam-packed March 11th edition of the show. A lot to get to. BYU Spring Football Week 1 is a wrap. We will have a ton of football content to pour over. Eddie Heckard, Weber State heralded cornerback transfer, will be joining us. And also BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark will have a lot to unpack with the BYU basketball season as they await their postseason fate with the NIT or lack thereof postseason fate. And we'll also get to, of course, conference realignment as well. So no shortage of storylines on this weekend's show, Matt. Definitely not. And it's fun to also be on the air during the midst of, of college basketball. It's wrapping up. We're getting to the thick of college basketball tournaments. So we'll keep you up to date on what's going on there. I thought last night's uh, – look, before we get to football, Mitch, just quickly, I thought the one team in this state that was going to go to the NCAA tournament for sure, Utah Valley, they lost an unbelievable game last night to SUU. And they might, the team that might be representing the state of Utah in the NCAA tournament <laughs> might be Southern Utah University. Shocking. It was quite the turnaround. It was a, an epic comeback. by 23-point comeback by and, SUU. And what made it even crazier was the fact that they were down three. SUU knocks down a three. And they get fouled with about three and a half seconds left, yep. 3.5 seconds left. They knock down the free throw to go up by one, and then madness ensues, and UVU nearly had a chance to win it with a layup, and they miss it. So, wild game. This time of the year is awesome. It's a I shame. guess they shouldn't rule out Utah State yet either. They're still That's in it. That's true. They're, they're playing it in a, a tournament final today in the Mountain West Conference, but 
it's a shame that BYU basketball is not in the thick of this chase right now. Again, we'll hit on Cougar Hoops because this was an underwhelming year, and I'm not expecting to hear an NIT bid for BYU men's basketball, but uh, we will get to BYU Hoops, but we've got to start things off with Cougar football as week one of spring ball is in the books, the first as a Big 12 member. The leadoff. A look at the stories making headlines right now. It's time for the leadoff on Cougar Sports Saturday. It was a good vibe to be at the indoor practice facility to see BYU competing in practice. Now, Matt and I, we know Cougar Nation, we're not going to give you the cliche flying around, pads <laughs> popping. I, we hear you, Cougar Nation. You're probably thinking these guys are going to say they're just flying around. No, we go in the weeds. We get in-depth with our observations with spring practice. But on a general surface level feel, it was good to have football back. It's it's crazy how quick it feels like yesterday the New Mexico Bowl just happened, and now we're already back, and it obviously had a different feel because BYU's in the Big 12. And so many new faces, too. I, I think we had grown accustomed to basically from 2019 until last year – it just felt like, okay, it's Zach Wilson, it's Jaron Hall, we got Tyler Algier, we got, you could go on and on and on down the list, just so many familiar faces. That's not the case this year. So many new faces at nearly every position group, except for maybe, what, wide receiver? That feels like the one group that there's not a lot of new faces, but the new faces has led to a lot of intrigue for spring football, and I got to tell you, the new face that is the most interesting is number 10, the transfer from Pitt, Keaton Slovis. What were we going to get from week one? Let's start with you, Mitch. What were your thoughts from Slovis, your first look at him in BYU Blue? I think he's looked great so far, and it's he's making no debate. There's no conversation necessary. He is your starting quarterback. We knew going into spring that he was going to be QB1. There was no – but it was just still a feeling of – is this a, a broken quarterback? Is Because the numbers have been trending down the last few years with Keaton Slovis, and I think we just expected that with how much experience he has, 38 starts under his belt, I want him to look outstanding and throw the football with uh, great timing, great decision-making, and he's shown that. And he gives you the confidence that BYU can go to a bowl game this year, and I think that's a nice benchmark for this team. It would be a huge, if they go 6-6, six and six, it's a big year. Absolutely. And, and I'm not going to say that Keenan Slovis is suddenly this you know number two overall pick or an NFL draft uh, prospect like Jaron Hall is, but I, if he's truly healthy, because he's dealt with injuries the past few years and he looks healthy, he's, he's throwing the, the deep ball with some accuracy, I, I feel like this could be the perfect bounce-back spot for him and he could lead BYU to some wins and he could get into his goal of being in the NFL. So I think initial returns on Keenan Slovis, he looks pretty good. He looks dang good, Mitch. And and if you have any questions about Slovis or any other football news and notes, text us at 57500. Ask your questions. Give us your thoughts on this football team. They're in the midst of spring football right now. The one thing that I wanted to look for when we watched Slovis was just how did the ball look? Did it have good velocity? Was it accurate? Because there were games last year at Pitt where I just didn't think that he was throwing a great football. It wasn't always a tight spiral. It didn't have as much zip on it as we saw that freshman year. Those concerns have been put to bed. 
He looks great. The two things, though, that I've observed, Mitch, that have me really excited for Slovis, they're not things that he's done on the field. And I think these things matter a lot, especially when you're a new guy coming into a group that's been established. Because this wide receiver group, it's not new. And this tight end group, uh, led by Isaac Rex, they've been there for a minute. I'm talking Keanu Hill, Chase Roberts, Cody Epps. These guys have been here for two-plus years. And Isaac Rex has been here for, what, three or four? So how is this guy going to come in and make himself, you know, to use one of the cliche football terms, one of the boys? (laughs) How how is he going to do it? Yesterday, after practice, he stayed behind and worked with Coach Clark and I think Coach Mitchell and some wide receivers for a good 15 minutes after practice. He was throwing the ball around, working on concepts. That was noteworthy to me. This dude is putting in extra. He's not just putting in the work, Mitch. He's putting in extra work to be prepared. And Kalani noted as such afterwards in his immediate availability that Slovis is probably further ahead in his knowledge of the offense than he thought he'd be at this point. The second thing I observed was when he – because in spring football, it's not – Ones versus ones all the time. There's constant shuffling. There's a lot of situational work. And so when Slovis is not out there working, he's hanging out with Isaac Rex. He's hanging out with Chase Roberts. I just feel like that is noteworthy to me that he's already building this connection and this chemistry with Isaac Rex. Chase, you know, the top targets in the passing game. I feel like there's a relationship already established, and we still got summer workouts. We got fall camp ahead of us. If that's already being established now, what can it be in the fall? I think that's really noteworthy, and it has me really excited. Slovis has the talent to be an NFL draft pick, and you do see flashes of that. I mean, his first season at USC, he completed a Pac-12 record 71.9% of his passes. 30 TDs. He was outstanding. And in the COVID year, too, you know, when Aaron Roderick brought it up that he played very well against Utah, I went back and watched that game in 2020 on YouTube. And sure enough, I mean, he's making deep passes. And if he can do that, I just think there's a lot of alignment. Aaron Roderick feels very confident that Keaton Slovis can be can, can continue the success that Zach Wilson and Jaron Hall have had in this offense. BYU is has always been known for great quarterback play, but there was a stretch there. Cougar fans know it. I mean, that... You know, early part of independence outside of Taysom Hill, and even Taysom Hill was not the conventional quarterback by BYU standards at first. There wasn't great quarterback play. And now BYU's back in the quarterback business to steal an old term from back in the day. I just think Slovis, he he seems to fit well. And I think he's really enjoying this. And I think also, too, Matt, that he's enjoying being in Provo a little bit, like a little bit less... uh, it's just not as crazy maybe as L.A. and Pittsburgh. I've never been to Pittsburgh, but I just think that he fits. There's a good vibe. I think he fits. He's comfortable here. I think he's embracing what BYU is all about, too. I don't think he's he's looking down on BYU because I think great transfers in BYU sports history, they always tend to be individuals that embrace the uniqueness of BYU and embrace that this is a place that prays before practice or has prayers. I mean, they just do things a little bit different, and if you embrace it, and you have a good attitude about this, 
this fan base is going to be behind you, and this program can lift you and put you on a stage, now a Power 5 stage, to where you can achieve all your personal goals and also win at a high level, too. I just like what's happening with Slovis. It's a lot better product than I'm that I expected coming in. I think he's yeah. doing a really nice job. He's put in a ton of work. My expectations have changed, for sure, because when they brought him in, I was pretty down on it, just from what I saw at Pitt and yeah. looking at the stats where he started his career 72% completion, second year 67%, very good, but a step backwards. His touchdown-to-interception ratio wasn't as good as well. And who knows, if that was a full year, maybe that irons out and, and it's more like a, a 28-10 situation. I, I don't know. Third year, 65%. Transfers below 60% for the first year. So that's why I was like, I don't know. Like The, the trend, and, and the guy that kept coming to mind, too, was Charlie Brewer. I'm just like, yes. Charlie Brewer bust onto the scene. And he never got back to what he was his freshman year. Is that what we have here? Well, and, and you never. The thing is, is that the first two weeks in the fall, ultimately, Keaton Slovis's success at BYU will be determining games in the fall. Those first two games, I feel like he should just tear it up. And if he has some struggles, then you know he's opening the door for for other people to step in if needed. But uh, he's doing everything right as of now. Yeah. And ultimately, though, he's going to his success and impact will be decided come games in the fall. In those first two weeks in particular, there should be no issue. Sam Houston and Southern Utah, BYU should breeze through those teams. I, I do think a noteworthy thing from the first week too, though, Mitch, is there were some concerns about Slovis, at least for me personally. I don't have those same concerns anymore. I think the fit makes sense, and he's answered all the questions I had about him from a just from an eyeball perspective. How's he throwing the ball? How's he moving? How's he commanding the offense? Looks great in all those categories. What's happening behind him might be more interesting than what's happening with him individually. The battle for number two, I think, is actually becoming a battle. Before spring football, I think a lot of us would have said, it's probably Retzlaff, right? You don't bring this dude in if he's not going to be number two. Cade Finnegan hasn't shown us anything. Finnegan has impressed, man. He's throwing the football very well. His arm looks a lot stronger than it did his past year at BYU. He's accurate. The only touchdown pass we've seen in media observation was from Finnegan to a wide. I think it was a wide open Hobbs Nyberg in the back of the end zone. So I thought Finnegan has really put himself on notice in a good way, and and some of that is coupled with the fact that Retzlaff has the tonsil injury and it's setting him back. We have not been able to see right. him yet from a media perspective, but Finnegan to me, I, I don't know. I, I kind of wrote him off like. Injuries and you know it's just not gonna it's not gonna work out. Now I'm like, hey, there's a real chance Fennigan's the backup in the fall. 100 percent agree with you. And I was with you. I thought, oh, you know, he might just be a guy that not to, you know just like a guy that is just a BYU guy, just wants to have the BYU experience and maybe doesn't play it down. Uh, but yeah, he's making a legit case to be that number two quarterback. I think he's done a nice job. He had a touchdown pass, as you noted, uh, to Talmadge or to Hobbs Nyberg. Uh, that was on day one. Keaton Slovis, just some tidbits, too, on some of his big plays. He had a 40-yard completion to Dom Henry in practice number one. There's only been one poorly thrown ball from Slovis in the two practices that we've seen. Uh, he had a deep ball that was just a bad read. But I will give him some some leniency because at least it was a ball that was just completely thrown out of bounds and it right. wasn't thrown in a situation where it could get picked. Finnegan, I, I don't feel like I've seen... A bad ball. No. Like, every pass has been on point. It's been good decisions. 
Now, Nick Billups and Ryder Burton, the younger guys, they've had some mistakes. Uh, they've had some some hiccups and some issues, and that's to be expected. Ryder Burton's a freshman, just fresh out of high school, and Nick Billups is a walk-on. But Finnegan and Slovis, your two scholarship quarterbacks that have been competing in front of us, uh, the top two scholarship guys, they've looked really good. And uh, that's promising for BYU because you got to get that quarterback spot right heading into the year one of the Big 12. Let's get to some text messages on the other side, some questions, some comments from you, Cougar Nation, 57500. We'll get to those next. We're talking BYU spring football here on Cougar Sports Saturday, and we're getting a lot of texts from you, Cougar Nation, and you can chime in, give us your thoughts. If you have any questions from week one of spring football, 57500 to text us and communicate with us. Let's get to these texts, Mitch. First one, and this is a good one because we all need to know. This is uh, Texter6657. Can we have a conversation about the correct pronunciation of Keaton Slovis? There's a, to- a tumult of opinions. So <laughs> so how do we say this guy's name, Mitch? It is Keaton Slovis, and that's from the official BYU pronunciation guide. Key Den Slow this. <laughs> I don't Keaton, know. Keaton Slovis. Keaton not, Slovis. Not what I said in the first segment. Keaton, yep. which is how it looks, which is incorrect. So, <laughs> Keaton Slovis is hey, how it's done. you have that one. I realized I mispronounced Sione Puha. I've been saying I Puha. knew it wasn't Puha. Sione, the new defensive tackles coach for, for all those pronunciation experts out there. Sione Bouha. So, there you go. Bouha. I, I don't know how you get... Boa from P O. I was saying Puha. I knew, I said that I knew for it wasn't. Years. I knew it wasn't Puha. I've been to Hawaii enough times to know that that ain't right. And I feel bad going up to coach and say, "Hey, what's up, Coach Puha?" He's probably like, "Ah." Uh, <laughs> He's probably like me. I can relate to this because I have a difficult last night name, Biamonte. Yeah. At some point, you just stop correcting people because it, <laughs> it just happens so dang much. Here's another question about okay. Keaton. It's a good one. Eighty-four twenty-two. So are you guys saying Finnegan is outperforming Slovis, and is he going to get to start in the fall? Oh, no, no, no. Definitely not. No, not at all. I think it's it's just, I feel like both of us kind of felt like our the expectations were low for Finnegan. For Just for some context, we heard amazing things about him in 2021 when he was a scout team quarterback, and I think there was a lot of attention going into last year's spring of, could he be the number two? Could he beat out Conover? Because clearly... As we know now, that staff did not care for Conover. No, nope. they didn't want to play him. They didn't want to throw the throw the pass ball with him. They didn't care for Jacob Conover, but he was not healthy. Kate Finnegan. So last year was always an incomplete, and there was a chance for him to play in the New Mexico Bowl, but he was hurt during bowl prep, so that didn't work out for him. But he has looked good to the point where I'm feeling good about him possibly being the number two quarterback. I still want to see Jake Retzler, For sure, though, definitely. because that dude on his his Juco film, impressive. Where I look at Retzlaff, I feel like he's got the potential to be a number one quarterback in BYU at the Big 12 level. I still don't see that yet with Finnegan, but I'm feeling better about him being a number two than just saying, oh, he's just kind of a guy in the room that loves being at BYU and – He's now going to be demoted. To, like, he, he, he warrants the scholarship, and he's definitely a threat to be that number 2 quarterback. That's what we're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Got to get to another break. News, traffic, and weather coming up, and then 
We'll get to more of your texts and questions about BYU Spring Football, 57500. Hit us up. Let us know what you think about BOU and what's going down at the indoor practice facility back after this. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte, on Utah's legacy home of the Cougars, KSL News Radio, one hundred two point seven FM and eleven sixty AM. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. We're breaking down BYU football. They just concluded Week One of their spring practices down inside the indoor practice facility and coming up in about 30 minutes we'll have coach steve clark from the tight ends group he'll come on to discuss isaac rex and this offense as a whole which has impressed so far throughout week one and then later on we'll catch up with one of byu's newest defenders eddie heckert the transfer from weber state we'll catch up with him how's life in provo and adjusting to playing at a higher level of football so Lots of football today, Mitch. And right now we're reading your text, 57500. Any questions you have, any thoughts about BYU football, hit us up. Here's a good one from 3606, Mitch. How's the offensive line looking, and what sort of lineups are we seeing in the front five? Do you think the O-line will continue to be a strength for the Cougars, or will it be a step back in 2023? One of the notable pieces to the offensive line, and a guy that I was excited to see in spring, was Utah transfer Paul Miley. He's out for spring practice. He had a, uh, he has a sling on his arm. Expected to be back after spring, but he's out for spring. And that's kind of notable just because you want to have that five-man continuity uh, on the, that offensive line. So yesterday at practice, we saw Kingsley Sumatia at left tackle. A, an underrated storyline because... One, there's so many storylines in this program this year with the Big 12 and all the new faces. But Kingsley is switching from right to left. He's going to take over that spot for Blake Freeland. He's he's got that anchored in. And Blake did that as well, by the way. Yes, and did. And there was a little bit of a learning curve a bit. Uh, Kingsley at left. Uh, Connor Pay's at center, and he's going to be your center. He's outstanding. Uh, Connor Pay is going to be a star. And then the other three spots is where it gets interesting. Right tackle, it's either Braden Keim or LaSila Ty. Day one, we saw Braden Keim. Day two, or day three, excuse me, second day of observation for us, we saw LaSila Ty. The guards is also another interesting spot. Some new faces. Ian Fitzgerald from Missouri State, and then Waylon Lapuaho from Utah State. So that's kind of your five. Uh, then you also have some other options there along the offensive line uh, for BYU. Peter Falanico at center. He's had some struggles a little bit with some snaps. Bright up, bright future ahead for him. He's learning the center position. Vai Suifua, a guard, going to be a good one from Orem High School. Trust me, he, that kid's going to be very, very good. He didn't play at all last season, redshirted. Big upside for Vai Suifua, uh, but still kind of thin. And that's where I wish I could have seen Paul Miley this spring because I feel like his presence was very was sorely needed in this group. And I think you're also seeing the absence of the Barrington brothers because. Imagine if Clark had returned. I know that he wanted to go pro, but if he had come back, and let's say he leaves, 
but you retain Campbell. I think Campbell's a shoe in it, right tackle, don't you? Yes, so, no question. I, I, I think there is definitely some new pieces. Here's the good news, though. They all looked apart. Like oh, yeah. this isn't a situation where in 2012 you've got a center that's 230 pounds and you just don't have the bodies. Like I think they've done a great job in recruiting these past couple years to where not sure if you can say you can plug and play. We'll find out in the fall, but there's certainly options there where you know, in previous years it was like, "Hey, we need some transfers from SUU." Yeah, Andrew ID comes to mind, and it's like you're immediately in the mix. Ian Norman, and no one's even yeah, no one's even touching you. We gotta have you. That's not the case. I think there's probably you know everyone we've just mentioned. I'd probably say there's eight, nine, maybe ten guys that are going to be vying for playing time. And obviously, you got to find the right five. That, that's the key. That's what makes an offensive line work. But so to answer the second part of this uh, Texas question, I'm not ready to say it will be a strength. But I also don't think it'll be a step back. I think it will be good enough to allow this offense to, to play well. And it should be noted, Aaron Roderick, he is saying a different tune than us. He's saying it's more athletic this year, which you do see the athleticism with Fitzgerald and Lapuaho at, at at guard. Those are athletic guards. Yeah. They're they're ath- they're great good athletes. And Kime too at tackle and Kingsley. Kime looks like Blake Freeland. Oh, Braden Kime is impressive. Uh he will it, if I was to predict, Matt, I think this is your starting lineup at offensive line for Sam Houston. You go from right to left, right tackle, Braden Kime, right guard, Lapuaho, center, Connor Pay, left guard, Paul Miley, left tackle, Kingsley Suamatia. You hear those names, you go, that's a pretty good group. Because yep. uh, Waylon Lapuaho, he comes in from Utah State. He started all 13 games as a true freshman last year out of right. Bingham High School. He's good. He he was one of the best freshmen in the Mountain West Conference last season. So it, it's just a little bit thinner than usual because if you do have one injury, then it starts to you go, you're down to about six or seven guys. Whereas the last couple of years, it's felt like they've had 12, 13 guys, and uh, there's no shortage of talent. There's some young studs, too, waiting in the wings, deep freshmen like Caden Chidester, six foot eight, switch, switches over from defensive line to O-line. He's going to be a Freeland type. You know, he, he's very thin right now, but you can see the legs, the build. Like, he just looks like the offensive tackles that BYU's developing where they get these freaky athletes and then they add the weight, they put them in that weight room, and then they bulk up and become stud linemen. So, Bryce, there's there's good days ahead, but a little bit thinner than we're used to from that I online. will say this. This might be a little bit of a hot take, especially for you. The one lineman that BOU cannot afford to lose this year, Connor Pay. Yeah, you, I, I, I agree with that. Okay. Uh, Kingsley's more talented. He's the first-round pick. Yeah. Kingsley, to me, next year is a first-round pick. Connor I Pay, if he goes down... You better hope Paul Miley's healthy because yeah. the guys that have been mixing in at center behind him have not impressed. Connor Pay has just been leaps and bounds better at the center position so far. I know it's early, but I know that Paul Miley played some center at Utah. To me, I love what you said. You start him at guard, but then needs be, he's probably your backup center in the fall. Defensive line's been an area, too, in the trenches that I've been kind of curious to see New coaches there, obviously. Kelly Papinga coaching the DNs. Sione Bouha at defensive tackle. <laughs> He's coaching that spot up. Matt, I call me crazy, but I feel like this position is going to su- surprise BYU fans. Maybe maybe the expectations were slow, so low. Like it's that meme where 
our expect expectations were so low and you took them even farther down. Like how it can't get much worse, right? But here's some of the names along the D line that have been showing some some good signs. Tyler Batty, he looks more athletic. He's leaned out he's leaned down a little bit. Uh, but it's it's he it's he's maintained his weight though, and his body fat is down like two percent. Dude looks fantastic. Uh, he's leaned out a bit. Uh, I think he's going to be more explosive this year, and I think that's a byproduct of working with Kelly Papinka. Jan Jorgensen's and still around, too. the weight room philosophy has changed, too. Tyler Batty has talked about this, and I don't think it's a small thing. A lot more emphasis on speed, agility, and explosion, not necessarily just bulking up and being heavy. So I, I think we've definitely seen that from Tyler Batty. Well, and, and also, too, with the NFL, I mean, Kelly Papinga... Sione Takitaki, Fred Warner, Kyle Vanoy. Those are the guys he's worked with, and he, and he was instrumental in their development at BYU. Kelly Papinga gets a ton out of edge rushers, man. He, he gets the most out of these guys, and Tyler Batty's going to be a leader. Uh, Zay Bagna is interesting. I asked Kalani Sataki about him yesterday, and Zay Bagna is an edge rusher from Boise State. You look at him physically – he is the long body type that you love off the edge. Uh, but there's still some nuances he's got to kind of sort out instead of just being, go get the quarterback because teams are going to pick up on that. Uh, but he's got athleticism. He's, he's pretty explosive. Then you also have Isaiah Moa, who had a fumble recovery yesterday in practice. You got Bowie Schoonover at defensive end. Haven't seen Michael Daly yet, uh, which has been unfortunate. Got to keep an eye out for that. I've been wanting to see Daly because I think he's going to be a good one. John Henry Daly comes in the in the summertime. Uh, Blake Mangelson, I think he's going to take a massive step forward. Very high on Blake Mangelson's development at BYU and new lot new Leetu Selesen. I'm probably saying that wrong. <laughs> Weber State transfer. Uh, I see some potential there. He could be a guy that's on the travel roster. So uh, things are trending up for that D line, especially on the edges and then in the interior. John Nelson switches from the edge to the D tackle spot. How do you feel about that? Because I, I like that. You move. do. I do like that move because I feel like for him personally, he's going to have to be a D tackle. I think in the NFL. I, I personally, I, I mean, I think he was pretty good at the end, uh, but I think he can be even better as a D tackle. I liked him at the end. I I feel like the personnel they've got at the end now uh, is it's a different uh, look. It's yes. I think physically. They want more slender. Yes, they, they want it slender uh, edge rushers. Whereas John Nelson, he's a bigger body type. He uh, more aligned with Caden Haas, Nice Amahe, Jackson Cravens. He's going to be big time for BYU this year. I mean, I don't know if it's going to be a guy that pops on on the stat sheet, but hearing already that he is kind of a leader in the in the defensive line room, that's important. I think you love that hearing that from transfers because. Do those guys come in with an agenda? Is it all about them? He's buying into the team. It's his last season of college football. I think that's huge for BYU. I would add to that as well before we get to a break and then a few more texts. We'll we'll wrap up the text in the next segment. So last chance to get your questions in, (laughs) 57500. Because, look, we got to get to Steve Clark at some point. We do. You don't want to miss our interview with Steve Clark yesterday at at the third day of spring practice. Nisa Mahe has been the guy with the ones. Yeah. Uh, it's from left to right. It's been Batty, Mahe. They've rotated that other DT at times, and we've seen some different looks. Yeah. And Zay Bagna in there as well. But Mahe's a dude who 
I think a lot of BYU fans maybe wrote off because of injuries. And then in winter conditioning, you see him squatting like 600 pounds. You're like, whoa, holy smokes. I think he's healthy. And I think it's taken him a long time to get back to what we briefly saw. Was it back in 2019? Mm-hmm. Where he, it was like, who is this Tennessee. guy? Yeah. Who, who is this dude? He's making plays. If he can be healthy, imagine having him, John Nelson, Jackson Cravens, Caden Hawes. I know I'm missing some guys, but there's plenty of depth and options there at D-Tackle. There is. And and Nice, uh, man, he has always pushed a ton of weight. I mean, in high school at West Jordan High, he was a weightlifting state champion. He's always had tons of strength. And, yeah, but he, he had the scary brain tumor. I mean, it yeah. was intense stuff to where is he going to be alive? So we should be grateful that he's even out there and he's defying the odds, honestly. But, yeah, if he can stay healthy, that he is a talented football player. They did lose Gabe Summers, kind of an underrated uh, subtraction from the uh, from the defensive line position. He's moving on. He had a year to use if he wanted with COVID. The injuries were too much for him. I mean, he was playing on a torn PCL last year. And it will be interesting to see if he goes to the pro day coming up a little bit later this month. But that was just a little bit of an underrated storyline with that D-line as far as absences go. They get Josh Larson back, who's still working his way back. Bruce Mitchell, a guy that they liked the previous staff did from uh, Camas, South Summit High. So there's options. And I think that this D-line will be much better than they've been. I feel better about this group than I did a couple months ago. And then you pair it up with the coaching experience that Pouha and Kelly Papinga bring to the table. I like what this group can potentially be, Matt. And I think that is something Cougar Nation wants to see is a in a physical defensive line because you've got to have it in Power 5 yep. football. Yep. Even though the, the offenses are great in the Big 12, everyone's pretty much averaging 32 points and up. But you have to have that that brand of being a physical football team that's going to be a tough out. That's what BYU needs, and they've got to have it in the trenches, especially on the defensive side. We'll take a break, wrap up your questions and texts on the other side about spring football. It's been an hour full of BYU football talk, and we're going to continue it at the top of hour number two. Tight ends coach Steve Clark, he'll be our guest breaking down this tight end room, this new offense led by a new quarterback heading into their first year of Big 12 football. Let's get to one more text here, Mitch. I think this is an interesting one. And this is from Texter8020. This team is stacked. We have two four-star running backs. This team is going to be way better than last year. What do you think about this team being stacked? And also, what do you make of the running back room? I don't think they're stacked. I do think they're stacked at running back. Agreed. Aiden Robbins, Hinkley Ropati, Miles Davis, LJ Martin, Luve Hilu, Enoch Nawahine. I mean, yes, that is a good running back position group for BYU. They're not stacked, though, because you do see in practice the linebacker unit is thin. And that's why I said coming into spring that I felt that BYU, their base defense, probably should be a 4-2-5. Because I think that the, the linebackers are a real area of question. And that is something that's strange for BYU because you usually say quarterback, offensive line, tight end, linebackers, always going to be good, no matter what. And linebackers at the top, Ben Bywater, Max Tooley, they're going to be outstanding. 
but they're out in spring. So you're seeing the lack of depth on display. Micah Kafusi, Ace Kafusi, earned some praise from Jay Hill, uh, along with Isaiah Glasker, but uh, they're getting opportunities because there's really not many other guys. And, you know, that is a position, Matt, that when the May transfer portal window opens up, I would not be opposed if BYU went out into the portal and said, let's go get a let's get a transfer linebacker. I, I know that might be hard because, gosh, linebackers are so kind of critical and, and, and they could be kind of like a quarterback of a defense, if you will, to, to use a cliche term. But I, I just think that that is a group that's – it's been alarming how thin that position group is. And they switched Morgan Piper, who came back from linebacker to running back, and I'm thinking – that running back room doesn't need him. This is the year he can actually maybe play a linebacker. I'm not saying he's going to save the position, but that was a little bit puzzling to me to to see that position. Yeah, we need to ask about that this week. We we haven't had the chance yet, but I I noticed that in on the roster, mm-hmm. and I, I thought the same thing. It was like Morgan Piper. I thought had some moments at linebacker. He wasn't horrible. Good athlete. Yeah. yeah, I would have loved to have seen see him at running back his whole career because he was a great running back out of the state of Idaho, but we've spent years developing his, him as a linebacker, and now he's – I wouldn't – look, this is no offense to Morgan Piper. I'm not playing him in front of Ropati. No. I'm not playing him in front of Aiden Robbins or Miles Davis. I L.J. Martin, too. So what's he doing there, then? <laughs> I, I don't – it's it's a good question. We'll have to kind of dig into that a little bit more. I do like hearing, though, there's more Kafusis in the pipeline. I mean, it, it is kind of music to the ears when you hear – Ah, another Kafusi's going to be awesome. Like does, Ace Kafusi and Mike are going to be awesome. Does Ace Kafusi have the best Kafusi name that's come through BYU? Ooh, Ace Kafusi. That, that's a good question. There's Bronson. There's Corbin. Ace is better than those names. Yeah, we love Bronson and, and Corbin. Those are good dudes. Isaiah's awesome, but Ace. it's not Ace. Ace is a good name. Jackson. Ace. I think I'll take I, Ace. I, yeah. yeah, Jackson Steve. moved on. Yep. Steve Kafusi, that's just that's just solid, you know, band strength name. Steve, Steve Kafusi. I put Steve at number two. <laughs> Ace Kafusi, he is a, a, a long athlete. You're noticing a theme with Jay Hills guys that they want long, they want athletic, they want speed, and maybe Morgan Piper didn't fit that. I we'll see, uh, but I just think that that position got depth too, though. That's the thing. When you get to the linebackers. I just think there's some real questions at BYU that that defense side, and I also think too that I don't know what to expect from a BYU team that faces ten Power Five teams week in week out. We heard so much about the grind last year and years past. This is now ten P five, so I, I, that's why I'm keeping expectations relatively low. I think there's a lot of potential to surprise, but I would still say if you get to six wins, that's a huge success. Devil's advocate to the linebacker commentary Mitch is we've seen glimpses of this in spring ball 425 you alluded to it maybe there's just a, a philosophy shift here where they don't need to go three deep at linebacker because there might be times where you're only seeing maybe one mm-hmm. so you're gonna have Bywater you're gonna have Thule you're this fall too you're gonna see a ton of Cialia Sarah the freshman yeah, from yeah. Timview, he's going to play instantly. Pearson Watson, too, from Arizona, and then Miles Hall. So You're going to see all three of those dudes have to play. They're going to so play. There's guys, and if you're going to go four down a lot more, that takes the linebacker off the field. And then because of the style of play in the Big 12, I think you are going to see a lot of five DBs. So maybe they're just thinking, 
we don't need as many. We want to clear some room for some of those guys you, you mentioned. You, you just don't want to have to bank on fall arriving freshmen. For sure. Even though Cialia Sarah is going to be a dude, like he's going to be awesome. But it's just tough to bank. If he was in, in there in spring, it's a different dynamic because you have a whole offseason to work with the team. It's tough for those freshmen to step right in and be guys. we got to take a break, though. Uh, news, traffic, and weather. And then hour number two, we'll start things off with Steve Clark, BYU tight end coach. We caught up with him yesterday at practice. You don't want to miss that conversation. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again! BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday, hour number two. KSL News Time, 104 p.m. here in downtown Salt Lake City at Broadcast House. Appreciate the text. Keep them coming. 57500. We've been getting to your questions about BYU spring football, BYU football in general. So any burning questions that you have that you want asked, uh, feel free to text those along and we'll give our best insight to share those because Matt and I, we explore every crevice of those spring football practices. We watch it all. So we keep tabs on all of it. And uh, we had yesterday... Uh, an extra eye on the tight end position because we were catching up with BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark. And this is our conversation with Coach Clark, who's entering his eighth season on Kalani Sataki's coaching staff. So here's our chat with BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. Let's uh, get to our interview right now with tight ends coach Steve Clark. A new year, first week of uh, spring practice in the books what has impressed you offensively from the first week um i think the the keaton slovis the new that the quarterbacks have played really well uh, he's came in picked up the offense really well has a really good arm making some some great decisions good throws he had an off some day to day so um offensively i think that's that's i think that's i don't want to say surprise but you know he stood out were you part of that coach roderick said that coming into spring that you, him and some other coaches broke down nearly every Keaton Slovis game. Were you part of that breakdown? Yeah, in fact, I did it all by myself. Those guys weren't even part of it. Uh, there's an extensive uh, background, I guess, background check. Or, you know, we watched a lot of his film, and um, I'm sure A-Rod did it. You know, watched more than I did on the because, you know, he's with the quarterbacks. And Matt Mitchell, I'm sure they sat down and watched hours of it. Uh, we we did also, and and so we knew, you know, we knew what we were getting, um, but we didn't, you know, I, and I don't want to put pressure on him, but we didn't think he'd pick it up this fast, and he he's picked it up really fast. Isaac Rex is a good new Slovis. Uh, did he say, hey, you guys, like even before when he hit the portal, go get this guy? Uh, Isaac could have said that. I don't listen to anything Isaac says. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> While we're talking quarterbacks, we'll get to the tight end room in a minute. With- oh, yeah, let's just, just gloss over the tight ends and stay with the- <laughs> Stay with those sexy QBs. 
So you go from Zach to Jaron. I think there's a lot of similarities there. They were both mobile. They could mm-hmm. both throw the ball well. How much similarities are there between Keaton and Jaron? And does that change a little bit the offense if there's not that many similarities? Um, it doesn't change it too much. What what we don't know with Keaton as much is his ability to to do the quarterback run stuff. Just because you can't you can't put him in live situations, so you don't know if he can break tackles. I mean, because they're not tackling him. That was that was Jaron's uh, a huge plus for Jaron. Um, so I would say, you know, and Zach could run it, but we didn't do a lot of uh, quarterback run stuff with Zach. So I think it's the offense is, is more similar to what we did with Zach when he was here. Back with BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark here on KSL News Radio. Coach, with that tight end room uh, that you've got, Isaac Rex comes back, and you know, Coach Arod noted too that he felt like it was kind of like an Alex Smith injury that he suffered mm-hmm. a couple years ago. Was that? I mean, do we kind of undersell the? The extreme nature of that injury last year? Um, I didn't. Yeah, I, mean, I mean, I saw Maybe it. on the outside is what I mean. Yeah, we, maybe. I mean, it was, you know, you don't handle that correctly. He, he got some great care at U, USC. And when, you know, I don't know how much he wants me to tell you, but when the, when the, the bone broke through the skin, um, it went to a different surgeon. It went to a trauma surgeon, and he got a really good surgeon that, that fixed him up really well and took really good care of him. So... You don't do that right. You might not walk. You might lose that foot. So, um, you know, Isaac, he he gutted it out last year and never complained. And but he he was hurting, and so we're being real careful with him. He's not doing. He's we gave him seven team reps today. You know, anytime we were throwing the tight end, we put him in. So that's going to make the other tight ends really happy. Um, but he, that's that's what he's doing. So. We could be overreacting here because we don't see a lot. But a little we've seen, Slova seems to really love throwing the ball to Isaac Rex. Have you noticed a chemistry between those two? Well, yeah, you asked earlier, asked earlier about, the, you know, does he know him? And, yes, they, they know each other. So, yeah, I think so. You know, um, Zach Wilson was had really great chemistry with, with Isaac his, his freshman year. So... Um, Jaron, uh, you know, was more an outside. He threw it outside more, and, you know, that's fine, you know. Um, and so maybe they'll have a, a good connection of, of doing some of the things that that, that we did with uh, Isaac with Zach in 2020. When Isaac's at his best, though, I'll, my personal opinion, it seems like he could be one of the best tight ends in college football. Uh, just what do you feel like when he is healthy, what he can provide to this team this fall and, and beyond? Well, I think that, first of all, I think we, we get too enamored with the um, number of, of catches with a tight end. A, a tight end, to me, is a half receiver. He's a half uh, offensive tackle. And so a lot of things that we did that we do well on this team are because Isaac is in protection. Isaac is at the point of attack in, in the run blocking. Isaac is on the, uh, he's at the point of attack on our jet sweep game. He, he does so much for us. Um, so, yes, I think, I think he can be. Um, but, and then and, and he's, he's looking really good physically. You know, his, his, his weight is up, but his, you know, his uh, body fat is down. So he's a little bit more sleek and can run better. So, yeah, I think you're I think Is that going to stay when he has his kid, though? Because it's, uh, no, it's tough it, at the beginning. It, it, sympathy weight, I'm sure. He might be putting it on right now. <laughs> We'll, we'll see. Have you given him any advice, first-time father advice? 
Uh, yeah, um, get a good agent, <laughs> which would be me or his son, because that's going to be a well, athletic, good-looking. I'm in the running too, so we're, we might be having an agent you, battle. You, down the road. No, no, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors here. <laughs> this this thought just popped in my head because the conversation of kids. Do you ever have like recruits that say? Is it really married guys and guys with kids on this team? Like, because I got to imagine the stereotypes are out there. That be he's got guys with mortgages, six kids. Like, is that a? Did people bring that up? Um, not so much uh, recruits, but other teams. Like, I've talked to players after games, and they're like, "You guys are really old. How old's that guy? He's got to be like twenty-eight. And that's Blake Freeland. He's he's twenty-one. He's twenty. You know, he's the same age as you. Um, so you know, sometimes some, some some people say it's an unfair advantage, but. Whatever. We've Luke. talked a lot about Isaac. Let's talk about the other guys in the room. He's not the only tight end on the roster. Uh, what have you seen from Ethan Erickson, Mason Wake, and some of the newcomers as well? So Ethan Erickson is really good. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Is he going to hear this? <laughs> it I, Ethan Erickson sucks. Here's the good news. People, the younger demographic, they listen to podcasts, so if he does get to it, it's going to be weeks down the road. I don't want him to hear that. So If you can cut that out, I'd appreciate it. He's really good. That runs like a receiver. He's about 240, really lean, flexible. Um, he's going to do some intricate route running for us, I think. Um, you know, was, more of the double move stuff. And he was making inroads last year at spring, even when you know there was a full. I mean, Isaac yeah. was X, but he was making inroads in. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he played a lot last year. He he, he played more than you think because he had I mean, he only had one catch, was a touchdown, but he played a lot. So. Um, and then Mason Fakahua moved over, and I'm really impressed with him. Is he going to hear this? He might. Maybe. He's done doing really well, <laughs> really well. Um, he, I, I, but, but they're not. He, neither one of those guys are good enough yet. So let me just say it. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> Is Mason Wake more fullback, yeah. or yeah, he plays the Mason, yeah. Mason Wake position. But um, yeah, so. Uh, really done some good things. A smooth route runner. I mean, he's a running back, so you know he's he's. he's it kind of felt like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You're the coach. I'm just an observer from the outside. But kind of felt like his role was not diminished is the wrong word, but it wasn't as vibrant as it was. Who are you talking about? Mason, Mason Wake. Mason Wake. So I got just so you know, okay. I got Mason Wake. I got Mason Fakahua, and I got Nason Coleman. <laughs> so. You gotta, you gotta. Um, you talking right. about Mason Wake? We'll use last names from now on. Wake. In twi- um, no, no, no. I think he played about the same amount of snaps that he did. Um, he didn't have as many receptions catches. and leaps yeah. over defenders. Yeah, he had a few, but uh, there's not as not as many. Um, so we're working with him on some new stuff. He's not doing anything right now. Um, we're trying to kind of kind of mold him into a different role. So. You brought up Nason Coleman. I, I did want to ask him about, ask you about him. He was a guy, I believe, came in as a PWO, had scholarship opportunities mm-hmm. elsewhere, great shirt. What what is what have you seen from from Nason? Maybe his skill set. So um, he's uh, a lot like Mason Fakahua, about the same body type, um, but played played a receiving tight end at Chandler uh, High School in Arizona. So um, good route runner. Um, has done great at, at, at understanding. This is a hard offense for tight ends. And when I say tight ends, I mean tight ends and fullbacks. It's a hard offense. Anytime there's a ju- an adjustment made, we're the ones making it. You know, we're 
we're going to you know, do the new formation. We're going to be involved in the new protections. He's picked it up really well. And, uh, but, you know, the game, you know, physically it's going to take him some, with some time. How, with how difficult uh, this offense is for tight ends, is it unrealistic then to think of a guy in the fall, ja- Jackson Bowers, to even make an, uh, an impact? Or, I mean, it, or is there an urgency from these current guys in spring to really kind of set the depth chart so they can have their spot? I mean, how, how that works? So, the, it's, you know, the, you have the Y and the F, and they're two different positions. And Isaac can play them both, no problem. Ethan can play them both, no problem. Mason Waite can play them both, no problem. But it's taken years. We'll see. Uh, you know, we'll have a, a, something that Jackson can do. Uh, it might not be the full package, but we'll have something that that he's able to 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 grasp and 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 then and then the more he understands, the more we'll give him. A few more moments here with uh, Steve Clark. Thanks for the time. As always, we enjoy chatting with you in the off season. Any changes to responsibilities with the offensive coaching staff? Are you just rolling out this what you guys did last year? First of all, when is the off season? I haven't. Has it <laughs> happened point. yet? That's I a great point. You tell me, when is it? Uh, July. <laughs> um, no. I mean, that's, as far as I know, <laughs> I'm still doing the same stuff, so I don't you, know. You're a seasoned veteran in the coaching game, last thing for you. Uh, any connections to coaches or programs in the Big 12 Conference, your new league home? Uh, well, obviously, Baylor. We know those guys at Baylor. Um, so, you know, we had Mateos and Grimes, and now E.J. Stewart, Stewart's there. Yeah. Other than that, I don't know if there's any. Um, yeah. I think that's it. I think that's, I don't know, there, there might be, I don't know everybody, you know, you where everybody's at. for that, though? No. <laughs> Absolutely excited. Excited as it can be, we're, uh, we're, really, we're about ready to get hit in the head with the ball, just so you know, there's yeah. a soccer game going on. Oh. I'm not scared, but you guys will stay here all you want. That's how we ended the interview. We got hit in the head by a soccer ball yesterday at the IPF. And then it continued on KSL Sports. We do a video recap on Twitter, which is, I think, well worth your time if you want a deep recap of every practice. And uh, out of nowhere, I get blasted by the soccer ball, and then they're setting up for a corner kick right in front of our shot. I was thinking, it made me think, honestly, Matt, there needs to be a push now. Facilities-wise in the Big 12, they need a football-only facility. I think there's a way that everyone can win. Let's not maybe schedule the soccer games for 6 p.m. Maybe maybe maybe. it could be an hour later, and there could be (laughs) one hour between practice and intramural sports to where it can, you know, be vacant. It is quick. Right after spring ball ends, the soccer is moving in, and football is coming out, and... Hey, but no, Steve Clark, though, big thanks to him. He, he's a lot of fun to chat with, and we always have a good time talking with Coach Clark, and he's got an interesting tight end unit. And uh, Isaac Rex, I mean, the severity of that injury, we can get to that on the other side. Yeah, let's but do. this BYU tight end group will be interesting in 2023, so we'll talk about that next here on Cougar Sports Saturday. Welcome back to Cougar Sports Saturday here on your legacy home of the BYU Cougars, KSL News Radio. Every BYU football and men's basketball game can be heard here on KSL every year. You can catch our podcast on kslsports.com. It's always available there. Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. We just heard from Steve Clark, BYU tight ends coach. What do you think of the tight ends, Matt? How do you feel about 
this position group. Dallin Holker, he left after three games last season. He ends up in the Choice City at Colorado State. He's gone, uh, but everyone else pretty much returns. What do you make of this position group for the tight ends after one week of spring ball? I like it. When I saw it on Monday, I had this thought in the back of my mind where I'm like, this seems thin. But then you got to remember, Jackson Bowers mm-hmm. is coming in the fall. He's a highly recruited tight end. And Steve Clark just said he's going to play in the fall. He's, probably, he, he's yes. probably not going to have the full playbook at his disposal, but they're going to have specific situations for Jackson Bowers. And by the way, can I just say this? Brilliant move by Clark and the staff to do that. that when you get a four-star recruit, Get him on the field. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean he needs to take all the snaps away from other guys, but in certain uh, certain circumstances, you play Jackson Bowers so that he doesn't get a wandering eye. I'm not playing. I don't want to be redshirted. Love that move. So in the fall, I I think I'll feel differently than I feel now. But right right now, Isaac Rex looks better than he did at any point last year. And well, because he had a near, he basically had the Alex Smith injury. I never knew that the that he had a compound fracture. We knew that it was an intense injury, but not to that It was level. originally a, a dislocated ankle. Yes. And now it's become basically a broken leg yeah. compound fracture with ligament tears. Like, that is significant. It highlights, too, how, how remarkable it was that he was able to play last season. I mean, Aaron Roderick told us last spring— you know, he's probably not going to play. He just it basically is like we're not banking, expecting him to play, but then he ends up playing. Why do you think he did play? Not that it matters, but like from last spring, Holker was maybe the MVP of spring. He was good last spring. I'm just kind of wondering, did, did Rex maybe fear that he was going to lose his opportunity? Get Wally pipped? Lose his job to injury? Maybe. Maybe he felt like he needed to rush his way back at you know, that's, that's his you story. I just wonder if there's a, an alternate reality in the BYU multiverse <laughs> that both of those guys, you know, that Rex mm-hmm. gets healthy, sits out the year, and then this year you have them both. And then, then it'd be different. It would be, be ideal. But uh, Isaac Rex, if he can get anywhere close to where he was in 2020, again, I, I truly believe he's one of the best tight ends in college football when he's at his full strength. Last year he was nowhere near that, clearly. And you did see signs of it towards the tail end. It felt like he was getting back to normal. Uh, I, I'm expecting big things from him. And the what fact you, that he's got relationship with Slovis, I, I think yeah. that's promising. Oh, for sure. What would you make of, because this was a highly debated Twitter topic, that Jaron Hall didn't like the tight ends. What would you make of that commentary from Coach Clark on Hall preferring to throw it to the outside? I mean, the eye in the sky doesn't <laughs> lie. He did. And when you got Puka Nakua, can you blame him? But I was just going to say, I, I feel like rather than slam on Hall for not throwing to the tight ends, I would just say when you have that many weapons at wide receiver mm-hmm. and tight end, it's really hard to target anybody. And that's why I, I kind of feel like this year we're going to get back to what we saw in the late 2000s. I think we're going to see a lot of Chase Roberts targets and a lot of Isaac Rex targets, and I'm here for it, man. I am here for targeting your best playmakers. That's not, that's not to say either – style is better than the other because you can make a strong case that what Jaron Hall did is actually better. Distribute the football. Sure. There's no double teams. You don't know where it's going. But I also like the idea of these are the dudes. Let's feed the dudes. Feed the beast. So I kind of feel like we're trending back towards targeting 
two or three guys a lot more than the others. Ethan Erickson, this is a big spring for him to establish himself as the number two tight end. Uh, because I got to imagine in his situation, he's looking at Jackson Bowers and saying, I'm not letting you come get that job. And I like that, you know, make it clear that you're the number two guy. He has had a nice spring thus far. Very curious to see what Mason Wake becomes this year. Last year was a step back. I know that Steve Clark felt like it was the same amount of reps, but it, it felt I didn't like, feel that way. It felt like his impact and presence was just out of sight and out of mind to the point where we kind of forgot about him. Whereas in 2020 and 2021, it was the hurdle special every week. And not only beyond <laughs> the hurdles, it was impactful plays. Sure. He was making a difference, moving the chains, getting first downs. The Chiefs special against Houston with his mom on the T-shirt. I mean, he was making impact plays, and he was a weapon. It felt like he was out of sight and out of mind last year. I'm curious to see what he becomes this season. I'd love to see him play fullback more, true fullback to where there's some fullback dives and some swing passes to the fullback. I know that he can play tight end. I don't want to see him there, though. I want to see him at fullback, and you go with Erickson, Rex, and you mix in Bowers, and that's your core. Anthony Olsen's a, n- a nice young name to watch, preferred walk-on from Olympus. They also have a New Mexico transfer from the Lobos, Kyle Hester. He was part of the program last year. Uh, he's kind of sometimes seeing reps. And then Nason Coleman, a PW- PWO, he is good. I mean, he had legit FBS offers, and he turned them down to walk-on at BYU. He's a good athlete, so one to keep an eye on down the road. Not for this year, but you know, maybe year two, year three, you hope he becomes a factor into that tight end group. Let's take a break. News, traffic, and weather. And on the other side, uh, the top five, a special realignment edition of the top five. We'll get to that next. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back in. Hope all of you are having a fantastic Saturday afternoon. It's nice to have a clear sky day a little bit cloudy but just sun having that uh that's have that sun hit feels just a little bit different it's been a long winter and there's signs that we're turning the corner getting some better days ahead clocks are going to be moving forward tomorrow so make sure to do that uh we are you know do you have to move clocks forward it's 2023 do you don't you have things that do it for you automatically i have a clock in my house that i gotta move forward there's a couple uh one in the bathroom it's like a it's up you a, put a clock in the bathroom? Absolutely. Got a t- I got a time. The only clock you should ever effective. have in the bathroom is on your phone or your watch. It's it's on the wall. I just, I need to know. Like, it's sometimes nice. You, you get, need to know you're wearing an Apple Watch right next to me. I don't wear the Apple Watch when I go directly to the shower from my bed. I need to, like, have some sort of sense of time to understand <laughs> when I'm at. I'm it's all a blur in the morning. I am a miserable morning person. Are you really? I'm not miserable, but like I just I having pref- three kids didn't wake you up a little earlier. I prefer to stay up till like two thirty and do the oh, Mark Pope man. thing, and then go to bed and wake up at like 
eight thirty or something. I, I'm not that staying up till two thirty for me sounds like literal hell. <laughs> I, I will, think uh, I would die. I will never be that. You will never. I can vow to Cougar Nation and everyone listening on KSL. You will never see me do an inspirational video saying, I get up at 4 a.m. and I do this. I've done 400 squats. I've done this. I've done this. And then it's only 425 and I've already done eight hours worth of stuff. I like, You will feel- never see that. So I'm having another kid on Monday. Kid number two. I know. That's I'm actually, the lead, I'm actually, right, <laughs> I'm kind of worried about my mornings to where I might become the 445 guy to get some you stuff will. done before the before the kids wake So, hey, good news for you, Cougar fans, is Mitchell have you covered from 6 until 2.30, and then I'll come in at 4.30 a.m. We'll have you covered 22 hours a day. I, I always, I think part of me, too, and maybe just in news, I just, there's always something that, like, once or twice a year, something drops at, like, 11 p.m., and there's just that, and I would hate to sleep through it. And it just there's some inherent like fear or something that's something's going to drop at the late hour in the night, and I just got to be ready. So staying up late, not getting eight hours of sleep, Mitch. That's 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 an old way of thinking. I, I know it's a it, it's kind of like that John Taffer, that guy. Shut it down! Like he he only runs off four hours of sleep, and I admire the heck out of that. Oh, I love it. I was like, how does he do it? He's a machine. The guy's doing great. Shut it down. He's going to be dead at 65. Hey, he's like, he's almost 70 now. John Taffer. I used to watch that show a lot. All right. Well, maybe he's not our audience type. (laughs) But anyway, where are we? Where are we at here? We're at this, Mitch. The Cougar Sports Saturday Top 5. Mitch and Matt clash in a weekly battle of BYU sports knowledge. Here's the Top 5. So, our producer, Nate Slack, is on vacation today. He's down in Arizona. Well-deserved vacation. Well-deserved. He's been great. We've loved having him on the show. He's at spring training. Why you would voluntarily go to spring training, I can't understand, personally speaking. That's not for me. I already have a a hard enough time with postseason baseball, (laughs) let alone preseason baseball. Yeah, that's tough. it It was interesting seeing Nate's... Instagram post on his Instagram stories. I, I saw that he was in Scottsdale for spring training for his Cubs. And then the next Instagram story over was Jerem Jordan, our friend at BYU TV. And he was there at the same game. I'm like, what in the world? Are we supposed to be here? Is this just like a, did Brett send a BYU media availability? Like, are we missing something? Those guys have two things in common. They love baseball. If Jerem Jordan's they still do. a Mariners fan after everything they've done to him in his adult life, he's never leaving. That's a good point. He's never leaving. He still roots for them. Have you ever had a time, though, in your life? I know we're going to get to the top five. This is not usual for us, kind of getting sidetracked. But, <laughs> but have you ever had a time in your life where you were invested in baseball? Because I will admit, as a kid, and also in like my early 20s, I was big into, I, I really liked the Dodgers, and I was big into baseball, and I loved the the steroid era. I loved the home run chases. I loved that. I, I, I fell in love with that as a kid. I'd watch TBS with the Braves. Like, Was there ever a point you did like baseball? There's been a couple postseasons. So my mom grew up in Cleveland. I have a big Cleveland contingency, for better or for worse. It's uh, for worse when it comes to Ohio State, but for like the Cleveland Indians or the Cleveland Browns, there's like sort of a soft spot there. I think it was 95 or 6, 
it looked like Cleveland was actually going to win something. Yep. 97 when they played the Marlins. Seven. That's yeah, 97. It was game seven they lost. Yeah, so I was pretty into that, rooting for the Cleveland Indians. And the Marlins were pretty new at that time, too. So yeah, it was like, Gary Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. So that 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 might be the, – the other time, too, would have been – I think it was 2004. I watched all of the Red Sox-Yankees series where Boston came back. It was it 2004? Am I no? Yeah, 2004, Boston came back 3-0 down. Yeah, 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 the they're Yankees. down 3-0. That felt historic at the time, mm-hmm. so I was glued to the TV for that. But uh, most of the time, I don't, I don't pay attention. Yeah, yeah baseball, I, I, I've kind of fallen off a little bit with baseball. But one topic, I've heard good reviews about the the pitch clock, though. I will say though, I want if a baseball team came here, you'd be in. I'm in. That will be my. Team. That'd be your local. I'm not team. typically local guy. You're not. I. Like, BYU's I like the, the Lakers, only... I like the Dodgers, but I, I will. The Raiders. The Raiders. <laughs> And then BYU is like my only local team. The one thing that, uh, you know, and people sometimes have mixed reviews on that because they feel like, you know, when uh, you got to support the local teams. Well, I know on our show, they do not support the local team up the hill from our from our station, University of Utah. We already have a text today. Hashtag beat Utah. <laughs> our listener base does not take kindly to the team up on the hill. The I've, you know, I've fallen out of favor a little bit with baseball. But I have uh, not fallen out of favor with conference realignment talk. <laughs> That's the top five as we get into that here. Mark Harlan, did you see this tweet? Of course. Who did you see not? It? Yeah. Dennis Dodd from CBS Sports had a story that talked about the, the Big 12 looking to pounce with the four corner schools. He did mention in the article potentially a combination of the four corner schools could be coming to the Big 12. He did not say all four. He said a combination of them. So that could be Arizona and Colorado. It could be Arizona State and Utah. Who knows? But Utah Athletic Director Mark Harlan quote tweeted Dennis Dodd and said, quote, give me a break. So it got us thinking. That's some of the four best words I've ever heard on Twitter. I think Cougar Nation probably loved that tweet. Because to me, it kind of says they want no part of the Big 12. And I don't think BYU fans want any part of Utah in their beloved Big 12. Nope. They don't. Like, I don't. I have not met a BYU fan since all this drama with realignment that says, "Gosh, I want Utah in the Big 12. If they there's don't. anybody out there that wants that, Texas five seven five zero zero, and let us know because I don't think BYU fans want them, and I don't think they should after everything that's transpired the past fifteen years. I, I agree. I mean, even the last fifty years. I mean, there's just a lot of hate between BYU and Utah, and if you're BYU, look. And I get it from the Pac-12's perspective. I think ultimately you probably want to stay put because there is a 12-team playoff. Yep. And you don't need to make the move. It's not like it's going to be this embarrassment of riches in the Big 12 waiting for you. Let's say, hypothetically, the Pac-12 gets $28 million a year per TV. What they tend to forget, though, is that the NCAA tournament is worth a lot of money. And last I checked, the Big 12 is really good at basketball, so there's going to be a lot of money to be had from NCAA tournament units. And, oh, by the way, that tournament's probably going to be expanded to 92 teams. So you're going to get a lot of money from that. Big 12 teams are going to pull down $50 million a year in revenue, probably. I don't think the Pac-12 is going to be reaching that. Uh, but still, I can see the, the appeal for a Utah or whoever to want to stay in the Pac-12 because it's just stay in your current situation. But I think long-term, there's, there's going to be a lack of stability. I really believe that. Uh, but, you know, it got us thinking, Matt, in this top five segment, if you could kind of just, you know, dream up scenarios 
for your top five candidates, because Nate Slack's gone, so usually we have a game show style thing, but we're just going to put together our list today. Your top five candidates that you personally would choose for Big 12 expansion. Again, we're not putting any sort of stipulations like, oh, you can't go for this one. Just your pie in the sky dreams list. Five to one. Five to one. Let's right. each reveal number five and then work our way Number up. five for me, Arizona State. And the reason I have them that low is I get the sense from them that they don't want to join the Big 12. And I have been stalwart in this opinion, Mitch. If one of these Pac-12 teams doesn't really want to be there, don't bring them in. You cannot bring a wolf into the hen house. You've got to bring in teams that want to be unified. And I just get a little sense from the Sun Devils that they want to be a devil in the Big 12. (laughs) And so I'm going to keep them at arm's distance. So I think a lot of us think they're going to get to 16. So Arizona State would be the first out on my list. I'm going to say Colorado number five for me. And let me just, spoiler alert, well, you know, we won't spoil anything. Number five, Colorado. Uh, I love the history of Colorado football. It's legit. Like I In the Big 12. Yes, the Big 12 era, the Big 8 era, Colorado football had legit history. Cordell Stewart. Yes, and the McCarthy. I mean, they were a good football brand, and they have just nosedived in the pack. Terrible. They've lost their place, their way. Dion's going to bring it back. Coach Prime's going to be awesome. I love his messaging. He is going to be so good in college football. I cannot wait to watch him. Uh, but Colorado... Number five for me, because I just think, too, they, they kind of stick their nose up at the Big 12. And it's like, what have you done since? You've done nothing. You've been a, a joke in college football outside of one season in 2016. Give me a break. And look, when Coach Prime has his success, he gone. He's not staying in Boulder <laughs> forever. Right. He'll be gone. But uh, I'll be watching. So, But Colorado, number Towards five for the me. the end, it's going to be, we leaving. <laughs> and he's taking I brought it back. Him. We leaving. <laughs> Buffaloes, <laughs> we leave it. All right, my number four. There's a theme here that's about to uh, emerge on my top five. Wolfpack, NC State. Oh, explain this. There's nothing to explain. Clemson and Florida State have have spoken. They are unhappy with the current sure. situation in the ACC. Now, it's not the same as the Big 12 because of their grant of rights goes until the middle of, not this decade, next decade. 2036, So it would cost a lot of money to leave. But if that conference is going to break, I think NC State's got potential to maybe break away, get out of the shadow of North Carolina, out of Duke, out of Clemson, out of South Carolina, and maybe they could become something. So I like NC State as my uh, fourth option in realignment. Gives UCF... Cincinnati, some of these, West Virginia, give them some closer games on the East Coast. NC State, my number four. I like that because it's a name that's never brought up because they're just always been in the ACC. They're in the triangle, so everyone just lumps them in, and they probably would be inseparable with North Carolina and Duke, but they've never had an identity. Duke and North Carolina are the big stick. I mean, they're the the big thing. I I, I like that. That's a good pull. Uh, Number four for me is Arizona State, all the reasons you stated. I think that they would be a good fit in the I, Big 12. I agree. Uh, but, uh, you know, that whole sleeping power bet, they were a power in the whack. They've been asleep since, outside of the Jake Plummer <laughs> years. Uh, Bruce Snyder had some good teams, but 
I do like Arizona State. I've always enjoyed watching that program. All right, number three for me, uh, uh, staying on the East Coast, the Wahoos, the Virginia mm. Cavaliers. I I also kind of feel like, again, the ACC might be ripe for the picking, not next year or the year after, but down the road. I like Virginia. I think Virginia has a – look, we're talking a lot of basketball – Great basketball program. That fits in with the Big 12, and maybe football can be elevated there. Virginia for me. Virginia, I think, will be one that ends up in a Big 10. I think I could see that. I, I just think their academics will kind of win the day a little bit. Here's an old-school realignment talk. For fans that have followed realignment for a long time, you will remember this program, Louisville. They're in my number three. Uh, for a long time, they were in Conference USA. Then they moved up to the Big East. And then there was speculation for a minute there that they were going to go to the Big 12 with West Virginia. And then the ACC came calling and, and plucked them. And, man, that was just a, an unfortunate loss. Again, the Big 12 not being proactive back then. Different story now. They're being on the attack. Uh, but Louisville, I think, would be a good fit in the Big 12. All right, my number two. And I hate this town. I went there as a teenager and I vowed. I'm not this is a true story. I vowed if I had received a mission call to Tucson, Arizona, I was going to deny it. But that being said, I would love to have the Arizona Wildcats yes. in the Big 12. I don't get the same sense of pettiness from them that you get from Arizona State. Basketball, say no more. I think football there's opportunity there. Arizona makes the most sense, I think, of any Pac-12 school, I like the Wildcats. Arizona's my number two as well. And let me tell you, that fan base is legit with basketball, and they have to be frightened at the idea of all of their basketball games maybe being on an Apple TV or an Amazon. I know that's the future, but it's not the here and now. And that program will get forgotten even more than it already has being in a watered-down Pac-12. Arizona basketball is legit. Was, was the West Coast program. That, I mean, you think of the long, knee-high socks, Jason Terry, Cats. I mean, I could go through the names of, of players that have rolled through Arizona hoops. That is just an incredible, incredible basketball program. Them alone are, it, I would love to see Arizona in the Big 12. They're my number two because I have a pie in the sky number one. So do I. And you do too. Who's your number one dream scenario realignment ad for the Big 12? My number one scenario. It makes all the sense <laughs> in the world. It pains me to say it. I hate even uttering the syllable, but they would drive up the price. And you're going may, there, aren't you? Maybe you could convince this team that. Matt, hey, don't do it. You want to. You can go with these other conferences and be, you know, you're still a brand, but you're fighting with Ohio State and Michigan and Alabama and Georgia. Or you can come here and headline <laughs> Notre Dame. That's my pie that's in the sky because that would be additive. That's a that's a hot top. That's a buzzword from Brett Yormark. <laughs> they would be additive. Notre Dame is my number one. Uh, it's never going to happen. Right. It's, there's no possibility of it. But they would be a slam dunk. There was once some talk about them. Like there was, there was the deep realignment theories. Like, I mean, Cougar fans that have followed this for decades. The people of Frank the Tank. Have you seen Frank <laughs> yeah. the Tank? Ma, like, just these old school uh, <laughs> realignment rumor mongers. Uh, Notre Dame was once a, a rumor in that meal. Here's my number one. Uh, Nebraska, I love it. I'll tell you, Nebraska to me in the Big Ten is it's cool. Like I, I, I always enjoy watching Nebraska uh, football ever since going there in 2015. I just have kind of had a soft spot for watching Nebraska. I enjoyed watching them as a kid, but 
I just feel like they've lost their way in the Big Ten. And when they were in the Big 12, they were a power in the Big 8. They had that presence in recruiting in Texas. They've lost that, and they just they have no identity. Matt Rule comes in, and we'll see what he does. But Nebraska football, their fan base is elite, and I just think that program has just lost its footing and uh, – would love to see Nebraska. The, we gotta, the, the financial gap's too great. I I know, but they could they could be the dog. And in you the could Big go 12. to the Big Twelve, and you could make a case where you could be that power again, yep, yep. and always go to the playoff. Yep. In the Big Ten, you're never. I mean, maybe you'll be that third best team, and you still find a way to the playoff. But I, I just think, what point do these administrations go? You know what? We're making all this money, but at the same time, we want to win. <laughs> right. We're making big checks, but we're not winning. Yep. Nebraska fans would love to win again, and I yep. think they would win in the Big Twelve anyway. Let's take a break. We'll put a bow on hour number two and then uh, get to Eddie Hacker coming up soon. A Weber State transfer for BYU. It's Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. Surprise, surprise, Mitch. Conference realignment has gotten people interested yes. in texting their opinions. Everyone seems to have an opinion on conference realignment. And uh, I, I, I'm getting... I'm getting a sense that these two texts represent each side of the debate. Here's a text we got. 86-84. I'm assuming this is a Utah fan. I could be wrong here, but got news for you guys. Utah doesn't want to be in a conference with BYU either. Yeah. I Look, it's in the past, and I don't think either side wants to be part of each other. I Deep down, I think BYU would be supportive. I don't think they would say, oh, please, Big 12, add Utah. I, no. not gonna be they would have once upon a time, though. Yeah. I, I think... But they're also not going to – they would do what's best for the conference. If the conference said, hey, BYU, we're adding Utah, then so be it. BYU's going to do it. Uh, but, look, I just – I don't think anyone needs it. Like, I, I just feel that uh, BYU and Utah – The Big 12 does need the rivalry, though. That's yes. the one thing. They it, don't have a great rivalry. That's a great point. It would be the best TV property in the league. Yep. Annually. No matter what the records are, that is or, nice And the sport. Because yes. I, I – I guess in hoops, there's still like Kansas, Kansas State, and Kansas that stuff. Baylor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe not so much in, in hoops, but in football, it would be that'd be the game. Fox probably or or ESPN every year marquee time slot. What was the other text we got? This is uh, I think this represents a lot of BYU fans' opinion here. <laughs> Eighty four twenty two. This is this is spot on. I I don't disagree. <laughs> Here's the dream, and I'm not trying to be petty. The Pac-12 is viewed more like a G five. <laughs> Utah is left out of the P5 by sticking with the pack, and BYU gets all the in-state recruits they want. You know, I think that exposure is important, and I do believe that streaming is going to be a key factor in the future. I, I do, but still— I don't be- hate streaming, Mitch. I don't. Neither do I. I well, I, I do kind of sometimes when I hate that delay. I hate when I'm watching a, like this uh, online— Box score. I know this is first world problems, but I hate that it's way behind the broadcast is to an online box score. Like, I, I like oh, having a, I like having a running feed of the stats. And it's like, oh, I know what's going to happen because it's it, it's already seeing it. Okay, well that's a you problem. I, I understand. You could that. put that aside in a in a close Look, situation. I'm old school. I want to have. You know, I want to have a clock in my bathroom. I'd like to have a TV receiver too. <laughs> Give me as many TV receivers as I can. I just want linear. That's all I want. I'm old school, I guess. I want to talk in my bathroom. I'm talking like my dad. I want a gasoline car. I want to. <laughs> I'm old school. I can actually say it now. I just had a birthday this week. Turned 35. I'm old school. Text us, 57500. Uh, do you want Utah in the Big 12? 
Does Utah even want to be in the Big 12? I don't think they do. Let us know. We'll get to you some more of your texts on the other side. It's Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. The texts are coming in, Mitch. 57500. We're talking conference realignment. This all stemmed from our pie in the sky, uh, complete, uh, you know, not factually based list of teams that we would want to expand. And, and, and my list was primarily based on East Coast teams. And you had a couple teams that used to be Big 12 members. Let's just run through our list quick. Yeah. This is complete pie in the sky. And just this having is, fun. Yes, just having fun. And this all stems from Dennis Dodd, CBS Sports, puts out a piece that some four-corner schools, that's Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, Utah, could be coming to the Big 12 sooner rather than later. Utah's athletic director, Mark Harlan, quote tweets it, give me a break, you know, insinuating this yeah. isn't accurate, this is not what we're interested in. we think so. You know, he didn't follow up anything, it's just we have, we're left right, to right, right. Yeah. I mean, Usually when you say give me a break, <laughs> it's a negative reaction to something. Well, I don't know about you, but I kind of usually ask for a Kit Kat that way. Oh my, I knew that was coming. <laughs> give me a break, give me a break. Break. Do you even eat those? I only eat oh. those on Halloween. You ever buy one? No, only Halloween. Yeah, that that fun size. Like, just rope those off for Dad. Still <laughs> mine. And how I'm much not... Halloween? Sorry, quick tangent. How much Halloween candy do you s- snatch in the middle of the night from oh, your kids? It's still in my. Uh, it's still in my office. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, back oh. to uh, our realignment. Here's my list. Okay. Then we'll get to yours. Then we'll break down some text. Pie in the sky, remember this. Okay, they are not <laughs> reporting anything here. This is just a fun little list. But Arizona State, NC State, Virginia, Arizona, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's never going to happen, but that would be quite yeah, a coup for the Big 12. That was my uh, wishful uh, Big 12 expansion. What, what, what was your top five? So my list, uh, you know, I'm trying to explore the the things that Brett Yormark talks about. We're going to be additive. We're going to have tent pull events. We're going to have DJ Diesel, Shaq O'Neal. Uh, no, number five, Colorado. Number four, Arizona State. Number three, Louisville. Number two, Arizona. And then number one, Nebraska. Because I feel like Nebraska is a shell of its old old self. Being in the Big Ten, they were amazing in the Big Eight, Big 12. But that's one to dream. It, you know what? I think, too, again, like I, I know that it would never happen because the Big Ten is just going to cash fat checks. And I think we got to remember, too, Matt, we could be looking at a situation 10, 12 years from now where the Big 12 is facing issues with media rights as well because I feel like what we're going to experience in college football, the sport is going to take on more interest than ever before. But I feel like these networks are just going to beat to a drum. Big 10, SEC, Big 10, SEC. And it's like, does any other league exist? I'm very curious to see what ESPN and Fox, how they treat the Big 12 going forward. It's nice that they're going to make $31.5 per team million in meteorites money and that they're willing to pay, but will they elevate the profile of the Big 12 going forward? We've seen it in Big 12 basketball. 
being beat to a drum, these networks saying, Big 12, best basketball league, best basketball league. The narrative is shaping, and going forward, best league in America. I'm very curious to see how that plays out in this next iteration of college football because I fear that the it's just going to be SEC, Big 10, nothing else exists. And again, that's just down the road. But I do think that the Big 12 will fight its tail off to work its way in to be in the conversation and, and be in the highest levels of the sport. We saw that this past year with TCU, whereas the Pac-12, it's a good product. I'm not, I, think, I don't think anyone has ever diminished the Pac-12 as a product. There is rich, rich history in the Pac. But I think that their elitist attitude has put them in this spot to where are they even pressuring, they being the school presidents, pressuring George Klyevkov for this media rights deal because – I mean, do they care? I I don't know because they have gone nine months almost with no meteorites deal. And you're thinking this is worrisome if you're that league and you, I know that they might all band together and still sign a deal, but uh, what, what network is it going to be and how much are you going to make? And at what point does some team say, you know what? I'm ready to blink and I'm ready to take the red pill. I'm going to jump over to the truck stop conference and be in the Big 12, where you know athletics matter a ton in the Big 12. So here's the good news and bad news. And, and I think this is relevant to the Pac-12 situation. We need to pay close attention, Mitch. What happens with the Disney company going forward uh, with the return of Bob Iger? Mm. Because yeah. for a long time, ESPN spent, 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 open up the streaming platforms, Disney+, Plus, ESPN+, Plus, Hulu, spend, spend, spend. We're, we've reached a point in streaming where it's actually not making much business sense for some of these companies. It's not yielding the returns. Even Netflix, I think, is spending too much on production, and they're having trouble continuing a steady increase in subscribers. And so I think the shift is coming back to linear TV. So here's the good news. Even if the big... 10 and the SEC continue to expand, there's still an inventory problem on linear TV because Fox and ESPN have multiple channels. You've got FS1, you've got Fox, you've got FS2, you've got the Fox Go app, uh, ESPN, you got ESPN uh, News, ESPN1, ABC, ESPN2, and ESPNU. Yep. You, there's still a inventory problem if you only have the Big Ten, and the SEC. There's not enough to put on all the platforms all the time. And that's where I think the Big 12 smartly recognized there's an opportunity to make a good amount of money. It's going to pale in comparison to the other schools, but it's going to be a lot better than the Mountain West. It's going to be a lot better than the ACC because we got to fill all the other times. And we're, we've got a chance to be the most valuable third conference. Yep. The problem for the Pac-12 is the Big 12 and – sort of the ACC have gobbled up the rest of the linear spots. And that's why I think they're struggling because Bob Iger, he's been on record at saying, we can't just spend out our butts. I'm paraphrasing here. Yeah. He, did, he did not say that on an earnings but call. Basically, But yes. we can't just blow money on everyone because we're not getting the return in streaming. That was the play for a long time, Mitch, is ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus. we're going to rake all this money in streaming. That has not happened, and so they're reining it in, and that's why you're not seeing the Pac-12 get a deal because there's 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 not the time slots and there's not the value. And so that's 
I think the good news for the Big 12 is they've recognized, hey, we're not going to be petty. We're not going to try and milk the cow for every drop of milk. We're just going to take what we think is fair, and we're going to go for it. As long as they keep that mentality, they're going to be stable going forward. And the Big 12, to your point, it's a great point. They're petty. Oh, we're going to make 40. Losing USC and UCLA, it doesn't matter. We're going to be fine. That's not true because the business model on for Disney, ESPN, Fox, it's not just spend out your butts anymore. That's great insight, Matt. And I think that also, too, you pair it up with linear sponsor are drying up because of the Big 12 and, SEC, and ACC and SEC and Big 10, paired with the fact that the Pac-12 has had a failure of a network in the Pac-12 network. Yep. Fans didn't want it. And, and COVID exposed the Pac-12. In 2020, when football went away, there was no outrage. No one cared on the West Coast. Big no. Ten, you took away a loved one. There was protests. There was riots for Big Ten football. Pac-12, no one cared up and down the West Coast. Uh, BYU was playing, and they were the only show in the West. And imagine if the SEC had said, eh, we're, gonna, we're not going to do it. Uh, cities would burn <laughs> right. if, if there was no SEC football. Uh, no one cared in the Pac-12. And, you know, it, and then you pair it up with also poor attendance. Outside of Utah, Oregon, and Washington in football, uh, the attendance numbers in the Packers are not good. They're not. You were at the Stanford game. What was that like? <laughs> it was it was twenty four thousand an ounce, but I guarantee you, about ten of it was BYU. Uh, there was probably about twelve thousand Stanford fans. And it's the Stanford football, rich history, right? I mean, that's Power Five football. I've been the Pullman on the Palouse in twenty twenty one. BYU fans darn near outnumbered them, and I'm thinking this is a lot more like Logan than it is anywhere compared to say Baylor, Columbus. that I was at a week prior. Right. Uh, look. The Pac-12's got issues, and I just don't think there's much interest. And then you also have dying numbers of participation in in football out on the West Coast. High schools are not playing it as much. There is just not that passion for football in general out on the West Coast, as you see in the Midwest. The Big 12 is kind of like SEC light when it comes to passion. These fan bases care. They sign up. For ESPN Plus. Kansas football had a sellout this year, <laughs> and they had been bad for a long time. They sign up for ESPN Plus to watch Big 12 basketball. Cougar fans, I highly recommend probably signing up for ESPN Plus because it's no longer BYU TV. It's going to be ESPN Plus. And that's how you got to consume. And the Big 12 has shown they will do that. The fans' bases will do that. So I, I just think that the Pac-12 has got a, a long list of issues. Their saving grace is that Academic-wise, and as far as universities and prestige, they do have that kind of connection together. They want to be tethered together. But from an athletic perspective, the financials aren't going to be probably great, I would imagine. Even if they get even number of the Big 12, when it comes around again in five, six years, I still would bet on the Big 12 being getting the upper hand than the Pac-12. We'll see. I mean, I think that both these leagues can coexist in a 12-team college football playoff. That That has been a lifesaver for all of these leagues, including the Big 12, having that 12-team playoff. Uh, but this is a new world where ath- college athletics are blurring the line of pro sports, and it's going to have bigger money than ever and bigger stakes than ever before. How invested are you? And I think some of these networks realize that the Pac-12's got some real flaws when it comes to that investment and that commitment compared to other leagues. And the sad reality is... What's the difference between the Big 12 making 31 and the Pac-12 making 26? $5 million a year in your budget is yeah. not going to turn into this Grand Canyon divide between your athletic department and the Big 12's athletic department. But they're, they're making that case. And it's, it's, 
it's it's so interesting how money in every facet of life and every business can seep into the cracks and break things apart. And the Pac-12 is on the brink of that for a couple million dollars. If they would just accept a lower share, they could then stay relevant. And, and here's the thing that is so often forgotten. BYU is going to find this out. It's going to be hard to win in the Big 12. With USC and UCLA leaving, it's never been easier in the Pac-12 mm-hmm. to win in that conference. If they could just bite the bullet, take less money, they could get to the NCAA tournament. They could get to the to the expanded college football playoff. Utah could very easily find themselves being in the playoff seven times a decade if they stick it out. But I think they want to. I mean, well, I th- I think Utah th- does. Yeah. But I'm curious to see what this media rights ends up being. I do think the Pac-12 will end up getting something. The Pope, it's, the Pope of the Pac-12, John Wilner. He has said that this month there's going to be a deal in place. Something's got to happen. It's going to be this. I'm willing to bet this. It's going to be a hybrid model with Amazon and ESPN. Yeah. They're going to get some Pac-12 after dark because ESPN still needs ESPN and ESPN2 at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. They need it. The, the Big 12 is not going to be able to provide both of that with BYU. So they're going to get some ESPN, some Amazon. It's going to be a little short of the Big 12. And then, to your point, it's a temporary lifesaver, but the, the the gap is going to continue as the business model and streaming becomes more and more clear that it doesn't work. Last thing before we get to break, on that point, would you concede having every BYU football home game late at night to guarantee that ESPN doesn't invest in the back 12 100%. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, make a blood oath the next 10 years, every game at home, 8.30, like to guarantee no money given to the Pac-12. One exception. We need one home game a year in November that is not at 8.15 at night. I think every BYU fan would take that, though, yeah. for the demise of the Pac-12. <laughs> I really do. Probably. I think they probably would take that, that deal. <laughs> Obviously, it doesn't work like that. I, I understand. We're having some fun here. Cougar Sports Saturday, taking a break. We'll, we'll get some of your texts. The, the text line is blowing up, 57500. We'll talk some more BYU football as well on the other side. People like conference realignment talk, Mitch. That's the bottom line. They do. 9606. You can text us at 57500. We're talking realignment. We're talking BYU and Utah. Should they coexist? Would they want to coexist? I think BYU fans are pretty clear here, though, Mitch. (laughs) Whatever hurts the pack in the Utes, I'm for, says 9606. They've been acting like they've been superior for years. Enjoy your pathetic conference. Maybe you can get lucky, and the Mountain West will help you once Oregon and Washington leave. That's harsh. That's harsh. But, uh, you know, hey, BYU fans, they, there's no there's no love loss with the pack. I mean, they, they've looked down at BYU. I mean, they've wanted to schedule them, you know, all the time. Uh, Why do they want to schedule them, Mitch? <laughs> BYU fans show up. Exactly. They show up. And it's just a good game. I mean, BYU against Arizona's and Arizona State's, those are those are good football, basketball games. I mean, uh, you know, it's just – but there is a – you know, I just think BYU fans should – they have the right to be really excited about this Big 12 and, you know, be proud of it because, dang it, BYU, they – took the road no one traveled they went independent i mean you look back on that you just think that is incredible byu 
did something no one does where they willingly go independent. I, I, I'm trying to picture, Matt. I, I think back about that. Can we name 10 programs in in college sports that can actually do that? Yes. I know that there's pl- places that have incredible brands. We can I, name 10, but it's about 10. But I, I just feel like to operate on your own dime, to create your own TV situation, and to create uh, another landing spot for all of your Olympic sports and still be able to elevate your fan base, because I think the BOU fan base has grown. It hasn't grown in massive numbers, but I think it's grown over the past decade, and you still have a product that's pretty dang competitive. I think all of us agree, football, men's basketball, the last 10-plus years, eh, been kind of average. This hasn't been special. But still competitive and still moments of brilliance. I just think that BYU fans have every right to be pretty dang proud of, of this Big 12 deal because BYU... They had to work, and the stars had to darn near align, and they did to get BYU into this Big 12. And it's like, if you don't want to be in this thing, then don't, Utah. If, you know, Arizona Arizona State, you don't want to be part of it, okay, okay that's fine. You know, I, I think the pack finds a way to survive, and they get a meteorite still. But, man, if if you do want to blink and get some more money, because I, I just feel that there's going to be more money potentially in the Big 12 when it comes to – the NCAA tournament units, all the bowl appearances. There's just good sports in the Big 12, and this financial distributions will be good. And I think Brett Yormark, man, he is creative. He is a mover. He is a disruptor. He is going to make deals happen. And I just think there's a bright future ahead for the Big 12 Conference, and I think BYU fans should be pretty excited over that fact that they are in a league that has some stability. Yes, it's stability probably because no one's currently wanted. That's okay. Because the Big 12, I think, is going to be pretty proud of that and fit the DNA and try to work their way into the conversation every single year. There's a lot of stability in things, Mitch, that apparently people don't want. People <laughs> don't want the Toyota Prius, but yet it's still everywhere, and it's a well-selling car. And when you need a gas-efficient vehicle, where do people often look to? The Toyota Prius, <laughs> even though it's not sexy and it doesn't bring in the most money. Like, so... I think there's tremendous value in what the Big 12 is doing, which is sure. recognizing their place. It's not easy to do. I'm sure it's not easy to say we're not the SEC and we're not the Big 10. But when you think that you are, a la the Pac-12, it can create some problems when you're not. It's strange to say you're vying to be the third best in something. <laughs> I mean, really, it's, it sounds like nice participation trophy, but that's the name of the game here. The, the market has spoke. SEC and Big 10, they run the the world in college yep. sports. Yep. Big 12 is looking to be that third best. And look, there could be stability with that. And I think there's there's better days ahead for the Big 12 Conference. And what's been great, too, since BYU and the other schools got added in 2021, since then, it hasn't been the Texas and Oklahomas running football. No. It hasn't been Texas and Oklahoma running hoops. We'll see Texas today in the Big 12 title game in, in basketball. But it's the others, the ones that are going to be part of of the Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma are gone to the SEC. And it's created this momentum and potential and excitement for what this new Big 12 can become. Let's take a break. We could talk about this all day, but we should probably play our interview with uh, newest should. defensive back Eddie Heckard. We caught up with him earlier in the week after a spring football practice. We'll play that next year on Cougar Sports Saturday. <laughs> 
Cougar Sports Saturday. Cougar Sports Saturday. Saturday. A presentation of KSL Sports. KSL Sports. Left wing for three. He got it again. BYU Sports Talk by Cougar fans for Cougar fans. Here are your hosts, Mitch Harper and Matt Biamonte. On Utah's legacy home of the Cougars. KSL News Radio, 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back into Cougar Sports Saturday. Some of our off the air conversations, looking back at some of the history, Matt and I, we, we sometimes get off track to talk about, like, we just had an off the air conversation about Taysom in 2014. It's just. Love these days on Saturday, getting our football fix, getting our BYU fix on Cougar Sports Saturday. We always appreciate all of you tuning in, whether it's on 102.7 FM, 1160 AM, the KSL News Radio app, kslsports.com, kslnewsradio.com. Any way that you're listening, we appreciate all of you tuning in to Cougar Sports Saturday or if it's podcast on uh, available on all podcasting platforms. We appreciate all of our listeners, uh, we also appreciate BYU players taking the time to talk with us at, at practices. And Matt, you had the chance to catch up with a new face in the BYU program. Yeah, Eddie Heckard, and uh, this was day one of spring football. He was just still getting acclimated, but a great interview here. We'll play it now as you get to know one of BYU's newest defensive backs, Eddie Heckard. Eddie Heckard interview coming down in three, two, one. Spring ball is just underway, but what's the feel? What's the vibe here for for a program that's transitioning to the Power Five level? Um, we're getting after it. I think today was intense as far as offense making plays, defense making plays. Um, like we know, it's going to be that type of conference where you got to make plays to win. So I've seen it on both sides of the ball today, so I can tell that's what we're headed to to be successful. Do you feel like you have a, a unique advantage learning this defense, obviously having been with Jay Hill for so long? Yes, I have I have an advantage for sure just because I already know this defense like the back of my hand. Now I'm trying to just use it to help other players, the ones that are learning it or struggling to learn it. So, yeah, I have the unique advantage for sure. For, for fans that aren't aware of the Jay Hill style of defense, what can they expect from – from a J. Hill D? Um, a, a defense that attacks and doesn't sit back and just let uh, offenses run their plays on us and we react. We bring pressure. We drop eight. We send different blitzes from the corners, from the nickel, from the safety, like from all the backers. Like, yeah, so we it's, a, it's an aggressive defense. You know? we, we're trying to force quarterbacks to make mistakes. So that's what kind of defense it is, and you can expect – uh, yeah, that's it for that. What makes it fun to play in that type of defense from a from a cornerback? Um, the amount of pressure that's getting put on QBs. When when a QB watches film during the week and doesn't know where a blitz is coming from, or knows that the nickel blitzes, the corner blitzes, the both backers blitz, like you know, and the strong safety blitzes, uh, it, it makes it easier for a corner because now that quarterback might make a mistake and that's what we need at once he makes a mistake that's when we get uh we get paid and get interceptions so yeah we're talking with uh, one of BYU's newest defensive backs Eddie Hecker transferred down from Weber State 
How did that process unfold, and, and what led you to uh, to Provo? Um, really, I was set on going to the NFL, but once Coach Hill got over here and I knew I had a year left to up my draft stock, I felt like it was a good opportunity to end up going with him to down here to BYU and joining the Power Five where I know they're throwing the ball. So I just feel like it's a great opportunity and it's a blessing in disguise just because it happened on the year I was trying to come come out of Weaver and leave a year on the table. So, yeah. How difficult was it to, to not pursue the NFL at that stage in your career? It was super difficult. Like, I, I still think about it every day. <laughs> um, just just ready to get into my actual life, my the real world. Rather I made it to the NFL or not, just trying to get life going and coming back to college for another year, doing schoolwork, waking up at 6 a.m. to run or, <laughs> I mean, just that type of thing. I, it was difficult, a difficult decision, but I'm happy with I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the decision I made for sure. What kind of pushed it over the edge for you to, to play another year of college football? Was it specifically playing for Jay Hill? Um, no, really the scouts. I mean, I just trust the scouts, what the scouts were saying. The scouts were telling me, like, for me to try to get a higher draft grade, then I should try to come back. I mean, I should try to, like, come back and go up, not just come back. Uh, so then Jay Hill. Jay Hill's... Uh, coming down here played a role into it as well so yeah it was it was that 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 exactly I just think I was ready to get started with the real world uh, it's been in college for a long time <laughs> what feedback did you get that that you're focusing on in spring and this fall that could help uh, help your NFL draft stock uh, a couple scouts said they wish I made more plays on the ball um, last season like um, I have I have almost every stat in college, but um, <laughs> and a lot of them say like it's just it's just more. I think it's more respected at the Power Five level. So um, making plays against Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas State, like the top teams in the uh, Big Twelve. Yeah, I think I think that's going to be good for me. Eddie Hecker's our guest here in Cougar Sports Saturday. When that schedule came out, how exciting was it as a player to see you mentioned? The Sooners, the Longhorns. I mean, there, it's a there's a lot of big name programs on that schedule. Right. How exciting was that for you as a player to go up against some of the biggest names in college football? Uh, it was super exciting. I was already excited just because I knew it was the Big Twelve. Regardless, you're going to play against good teams that throw the ball. Like last year, I looked up. It was three quarterbacks that threw for thirty three thousand yards. One of them threw for thirty five hundred. So it's like I know the ball's coming. And as a DB, that's what you want. You don't want to be in a, a running conference where they're not throwing the ball. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy, and I'm happy to just be a new face. And coming from FCS, I think uh, I'm still going to get tried. Like, they're going to treat me like I'm a freshman, so I'm ready for the challenge. What positions will you be playing primarily? Or is there any experimentation here in spring? Are you outside any, any nickel? Uh, both. Um, I play outside and nickel, wherever I need to play. I could, I could play both. Uh, at the highest level, I feel like so. Yeah, I play. I'm playing both. How's this de- defensive back group? There's been some change. You know, you're new. 
What's it been like getting acclimated with guys like Jacob Robinson, Malik Moore, some dudes that have been here for a little while? Um, it's been good. Um, I can tell they're great players. They, I, they are, they're already making plays. I think having Jacob in the room, same room as me, is pushing me as well. Because um, he's played for BYU. He, he made plays for BYU. So and he's a great player. I could already tell um, he understands the game. And uh, Micah is a great player. Uh, Malik, like, I, it's, it's a lot of great players in the room for sure. So uh, I'm excited because that's what that's what we're getting, and that's what I'm coming from too. At Weaver State, we had great great DVs as well. So uh, yeah, that's what it is. We're early in spring ball, but how's it been? Your experience so far being coached by Gennaro Guilford, a guy who's been in this program for, for quite a while, had a lot of success here as a player. What's it been like being coached by Gennaro? Um, it's been good. Um, he he uh, he coaches me like a vet, and but he but he uh, points out my mistakes. He's still coaching me, um, which I like. Uh, yeah, like uh, I could say, I, it's not too much to say. Like it's only been the first day of spring ball, but just from our little walkthrough practices, I could tell like he's he's not letting my technique go to go to bed uh, or like me playing with bad technique. I would say so. Like I can only respect it, and I, I appreciate it that a coach like doesn't just get a transfer senior and just lets him do whatever and mm-hmm. make mistakes and play with bad technique because then that'd be me going back. So yeah, I respect it a lot. We know you got NFL aspirations. Yes. Are there any uh, NFL guys that you watch closely to maybe emulate or take stuff from and put in your game? Yeah. Um, the first player I watch is Taron Johnson. Uh, Weaver State guy. Right. With Buffalo. Yeah. Yep. He plays uh, the same position as me. I watched him his last year of college, and uh, that's who I look up to. He plays the game the right way. He plays hard. Uh, I also look up to uh, Jalen Ramsey, him just being versatile. Like I've been in college, uh, playing the outside and inside, and making plays at both the outside and inside. Um, I, I like a lot of players. It's, I watch a lot of DBs now, like so. It's it's a lot, but those two for sure. I, I watch Tieran a lot just because I know what kind of technique he comes from, and, um, and and we're close. Like I talk to him, and I just see him making plays at the highest level. And he didn't got a second contract in yep. the NFL, so that's. That's what that's a dream, like you know. So yeah. What advice has he given you on on preparation to get to the league? Uh, well, I, before like my best game last year, he just told me to go out there and play hard. We was playing top team, Montana State. Uh, he just told me to go play hard, like uh, that's and I and I know like everything, like you just not trying to make plays that's not yours. Just go make the right play, make the plays that are for you. And to play hard, uh, we haven't really talked about too much film, but as far as play-wise, it's, it's play hard. Like just go out there and ball, and you could tell that's what that's what I'm trying to do, and I could tell that's what he does in the NFL today. So, a few more moments here with Eddie Hecker, new defensive back for BYU's defense under Jay Hill. I know we touched on the Big 12 a little bit, but once the schedule came out, was it? Texas, Oklahoma, like which games kind of stuck out to you as like circle that game that that's going to be an opportunity for me. Uh, honestly, I just I circled every game. Every game is going to mean a lot to me. Um, I'm excited to go play at Texas, being that they got 
a big stadium like that yeah. and um you know I, I like the games where it's a, a loud crowd, and that's why I like BYU as well because the home games are like that. Um, I like Oklahoma as well just because they, they're known for having good quarterbacks. and they're Senior known for, night too. Oh, yeah. They're known for throwing the ball, like, a lot. Uh, but, I mean, that's why I like the, just the Big 12 for me because they're going to throw the ball. Everybody throws the ball. Um, that's why I'm so excited. Uh, so yeah, I I, I got to circle every game because last year I learned I learned from my mistakes as far as our two worst opponents. Uh, I, them probably was my worst games of the season, and they probably kind of hurted me as far as getting drafted this year and I coming out. So yeah, I got to take every game serious, and I, I treat every game like it's like like it's the same game. Last thing for you, Eddie. Didn't let you go. Thanks for the time, by the way. We yeah. appreciate it. We're Looking forward to following your one year here at BYU. Coming from Weber State, Weber State's a great program at that level. Uh, BYU going to the Big 12, they, I think they want to establish themselves like a Weber State at their level in the Big 12. Yeah. What are some things from your early moments here on campus, in the facility, just some things that have been impressive, if that's the right word, at, at this level of, of college football? Uh, the amount of good players around you. Um, the the amount the the coaches that are around, like how many good coaches we got, the 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 weight training staff as far as like they're they're special, like they they're they're testing us different ways. They're they're actually doing research, like the new equipment we're getting. So um, like you, it's the whole program is just crazy to me. Like especially coming from Weber State, like uh, like. Kind of making speechless just because I don't like. I get up here and I, I got so many things I could do to make me better, except for just focusing on one thing. Like I, I literally have to pick on like what I'm, <laughs> what I'm gonna do today, to like get better. Like it's so many, it's a lot of resources up here. Um, yeah, like I, I don't know. Like it's a lot, it's a lot up here, as far as coaches, players. The players are working hard. We got some dogs, so it's. Yeah, it's good. It's a good problem to have. Yeah. Stay healthy in spring. Looking forward to seeing you in the fall. And uh, take care, Eddie. We appreciate the time. Thank you. All right. That was Eddie Hecker, newest defensive back. We've seen him a little bit running with the ones, of course. Spring football. uh, Looking forward to what he can bring to the team, Mitch. He's going to be so good. I I just have a a lot of excitement for him. I think he could play in that nickel spot. He's a corner. I mean, if you need to play that safety, he can do so many different things in that secondary Eddie Heckard, he, he's kind of one of those guys that changes the culture of the secondary by his arrival. I just think he's gonna he's gonna turn it up over uh, on his head, and this secondary will get better with the presence of Eddie Heckard in this BYU program. Let's take a break, though. Uh, last segment coming up, we'll get the Cougar tales, get you up to speed on all all the news and notes you might have missed. And this is Cougar Sports Saturday, powered by KSL Sports. Welcome back in to Cougar Sports Saturday. Been a great show today. A lot of football talk, primarily football talk, actually. Thanks to you, the listeners, for texting us 57500. We were going to get to some BOU basketball stuff. That season ended earlier in the week. It feels like it was a year ago that the season ended, by the way. And and that's something that's going to be nice about the Big 12, too, is tonight's the championship game. You're going to be playing college basketball tournaments 
at the end of the college yes. basketball season. It's not going to end early, and then you kind of get forgotten. And so, look, if, look it's going to be a while before BYU, I think, has success in the Big 12, hoops-wise. But if they ever make a run in the tournament, that's going to carry over to March Madness, I think, because mm-hmm. your tournament will end, then there's Selection Sunday, and then you play. There's There's just not this weird delay between the end of the year and then the tournament, which I... By the way, I think that's Herc and Zaga in some years. So I'm looking forward to that. And, and I also look forward to the fact that, uh, you know, from a fan perspective, the, the Big 12 tournament's Wednesday to Saturday. Uh, the WCC, I, I get why they do it for TV purposes, but you go Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday off, Monday, Tuesday. It's just a weird structure. But I got to ask you this, Matt, before we get to Cougar Tales. Did you catch that Big 12 song? That was dropped. I did, the B- I did not catch it. The Big 12 basketball anthem. Is it? This is it. Welcome to the Big 12, where every night's a battle till the end. The energy Your and team is him. Average is a ten. They attack the Gotta catch you. The only path is to the rim. No other conference in this country. Not bad. Yeah, it's called No Nights Off in the Big 12, and it's by composer and musician PL. I thought it was kind of cool. Uh, but again, the Big 12 just, it, it feels big time. It's a, it's a big stage, and they'll have their Big 12 conference tournament today at 4 p.m. Texas and Kansas, the top two seeds, going to battle it out. But uh, uh, big time stages are ahead in the Big 12, and there will be no nights off. And look, basketball too, we'll find out tomorrow if BYU gets the NIT. I don't expect that. I think they're going to be left out. But Monday will be very newsy, potentially, because transfer portal season opens up in college basketball. And I got to imagine this week, Mark Pope's had those conversations, potentially, because you have to pounce. I can't imagine BYU's going to go to a CBI, uh, even though I would like it, because I want to go chase a, a banner, but I get why the players wouldn't want to. So uh, we are going to see a lot of activity, I would imagine. For BYU coming up in the portal season. Let's get to Cougar Tells, Matt. Let's start things off with men's volleyball, Mitch. The Buckeyes of Ohio State. I had a cousin who attended that game in an Ohio State hoodie. He <laughs> walked out of there sad because the Cougars <laughs> got it done last night, beating Ohio State 3-1 to men's volleyball. Uh, I think that was a rematch of a previous title game between the two yes. as well. So, good... Uh, not quite the revenge that you would look for when you had lost a national title game, but a great win for men's volleyball, beating the Buckeyes 3-1. to one. Top 10 matchup. Ohio State was ranked 8th and BYU was ninth. Great crowd, too. More than 4,000 fans at the 5th Fieldhouse. So, great atmosphere for BYU men's volleyball. In baseball, it's a little bit of a slide right now for Cougar baseball. They have lost three in a row. They're playing right now against Creighton. That series got reduced and then shifted. From Omaha, Nebraska, down to Lawrence, Kansas. Mm. So they're playing in Big 12 country right now. Uh, Creighton and BYU wrapping up a series. Big 12 baseball, or Big 12 connections, already paying off as BYU gets a landing spot for a weather-delayed game. No, you know, I think that it's... I wonder what BYU baseball will become in the Big 12. I have to think that, you know, the, the talent's going to improve, but... Will they always just be limited by the cold weather? I mean, think about this winter, Matt. I mean, it's how do you have time or when do you have the ability to practice? I know they have the field that uh, you know melts away the snow pretty quick, and it, it's 
It's a heated field, but it's just tough. When you do not have a warm weather climate year round, you're in a spot where it's just difficult to be maintain consistency. And I just think it's going to be a steep curve for, for BYU baseball in the Big 12. But, hey, you're part of the club, and that's all you can ask for. But it's one sport that I'm really curious to see what they can become in the Big 12 because it could just be the guaranteed seller every year for decades. And that doesn't curious, sound good. Curious, curious to see what they evolve into. I'm, I'm very fascinated by that team. Let's go. Let's wrap it up with football. Did a lot of football today, but what, what do we got on t- uh, on deck for BYU football in week two of spring football? Three days of practice: Monday, Wednesday, Friday. The media will be attending on Wednesday and Friday. Position battles will rage on. There's a lot of competition, and I think in the trenches in particular, uh, wide receivers, maybe that second unit, because I think that's a position where BYU will be pouncing in the portal to get a grad transfer or two. For an immediate fix, uh, but spring is an opportunity for these young guys to make a name for themselves as they get closer and closer to a Big 12 football season. I can't believe we forgot this. It was such a jam-packed show that the alumni game roster has mm. got announced. Here's yes. your quarterbacks. Team Royal, Ty Detmer, oh, coming back, and he's going to be coupled with Max Hall. Oh, jeez. That's injected into the in the veins. This alumni game, I am stoked for. We just got to rip off some names quick. Team Navy's quarterbacks, Brandon Doman coming back from last year. Okay, coupled with John Beck. Oh my goodness, he's got to have Johnny Harleen, right? He's got Johnny Harleen. This is Team Navy's squad. Harvey Younga. I'm just. This is just a few of the names. I know we're running out of time. Cody Hoffman, Mitch Matthews, Dennis Pitta, Johnny Harleen. Oh, let's go. That's the offense for Team Navy. Team Royal. Andrew George, Dan Coates, Margin Hooks, KO, Kalului, James Ty, Neil Powell. Let's go. It's going to be a blast, man. That's going to that alumni game is it's stepped up this year. They've leveled yep. up. They they saw the the amazing response last season, that amazing finish, and these rosters definitely leveled up to to get ready for the Big Twelve as well, too. <laughs> I know is awesome. All right, so for Mitch Harper, Matt Baimonte, our board op Eric, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.